Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another serving of Business Soup Talk Radio. If it's in business, it's Business Soup. I'm your host, John Dibbavoise. Open me first. That iconic branding, along with the Kodak moment, is coming to Business Soup with Jeffrey Hazlett, the former chief marketing officer of the Eastman Kodak Company. He's now the CEO of the C-Suite Network. We're going to be talking about how the iconic name of Kodak devolved and what lessons he learned from that trip. We're going to be talking about running the gauntlet, as in the name of one of his books, along with how to be the hero boss or the hero CEO. That and more as he sits down at the table and serves up some of the best in business soup. Jeffrey, welcome to this serving of business soup. Hey, good to be here. It's good to see you again, and this time on the other side of the glass. You are the author of The Hero Factor, about think big, act big, and rewards of being relentless. I want to talk to you about some areas of The Hero Factor, and that is we live in a very chaotic time right now. There's chaos, but when you own and operate your own small business, it's always chaotic. What are some of the changes that you see coming to the business leaders like you and myself? We run our own businesses. How is it that chaos makes us a better leader? You know, when you got chaos, you also have opportunities. When you have crisis, you have opportunities. So some people and for some businesses, this has been horrific. I mean, it shut them down. It's it's completely shut them off. But there's also been a great deal of learning that's happened through this whole COVID mess. And there's also some businesses that are doing better as a result of it. So just a matter of what, you know, how you can step into it, do it differently. Like restaurants, for instance, have been devastated, but some restaurants have learned to cope with it and change it a little bit. Some some have had to change their menus so that they uh, create foods that travel well. I had someone on my own show that was talking about that. They shut down their retail environment, but they're doing takeout, complete takeout. And they change their menus around. And that's a term I never heard was foods that travel well. Well, okay, well, it makes sense. You travel them, get them home, then heat them up and so forth. But, you know, for other businesses, it's created some opportunities uh, and ways in which you can change the business model. I keep telling everybody that's in business today, days or weeks, weeks or months, months or years, meaning that's the way you need to look at things right now because you've got to get through and make a real digital transformation of your business if you haven't because you've got to work remote. You've got to do things differently. And when you talk about what's going to happen for the future, I mean, think about the ways in which we're going to change the way we work. Um, Everyone, I was talking to the CMO of BlackRock today, one of the biggest financial institutions in the country. And they are building a brand new building in New York City in Hudson Yards. And the leader was talking about how they're going to reconfigure the space differently. Does everybody need an office? No, because some people are going to work from home now. So now you need more meeting rooms, more office rooms, more spaces that where people can satellite in and satellite out. We've got members in our Hero Club and the C-Suite Network who have talked about, geez, I'm paying 80 to $100 million a year in rent. I can trim maybe $40 million out of that, give $10 million to my employees to, to redo their office, give every one of them $10,000 to redo their office at home, and I'll still come out ahead. These are things that you, you know, that you, when you look at opportunities that didn't exist before. There's this reference out there that's called the new norm or new normal versus normal. And I have personal feelings about that. But what does the new norm mean to you? Is that just a fancy governmental term? It's a bullshit term. First of all, I never knew anything to be normal. That's one. You know, every day when you're in business, every day, you know, you wake up and the whole thing could fall apart. So you never know. 
So I don't think there's ever been a normal. I guess that's the new normal. It's never been normal. It's kind of like, you know, right now, you know, it's one of the interesting things that everybody is talking about. They keep talking about washing your hands. Like, what the hell were you people doing beforehand? You know, <laughs> like, you know, like you weren't washing your, I would, these people were telling me now they're washing their hands. And I'm going like, are you kidding me? What were you doing before? So the same thing holds true now. You, you constantly, and that's our job as business leaders is to really to be the most strategic person in the room. Our job is to always be looking out ahead for what we've got to change and the way we need to change it. How do we disrupt it? I, you know, in my first book, uh, you know, or the running the gauntlet, I wrote about adapt, change or die. I mean, that's an essence of what you should be doing with your business. And today it's proven itself. You've got to make it work and you've got to adapt quickly or you're going to die. Before I ever created this program, I was involved in the real estate industry. My former career as a cowboy, gave me the opportunity to make investments, and I got involved in real estate. And I remember the head of my real estate organization coming back from a Washington, D.C. National Association and said, if you're in business and you're not in politics, you're out of business. How much has the political market impacted the world of your business? And what would you say to small business on how they should approach the world of politics? I think there's going to be a lot of change in the way we look at politicians and who's in charge. I I wouldn't want to be a politician in today's environment right now, period, because it's not an easy thing to take on the banner. What do you do? How do you do it? You're listening to other people give you advice and making the changes. But I think we're going to see a number of people voted out of office because of the way they handled COVID, because of the way that they didn't put some proper places in place, right? And they willy-nilly, in my opinion, shut down certain businesses when they didn't need to shut them down, let others remain open completely and entirely. And it just doesn't make sense how they do that or why they do it. And I think the same thing holds true with, with schools and you know institutions of higher learning where we've made some, I think, knee-jerk reactions to the way in which you're doing it. And I think from a political perspective, everybody should voice their God-given right or their U.S. constitutional rights to be able to vote and not only vote, but to support people and candidates that that reflect their their opinion. I don't think there's been one politician that's done a really great job in this entire thing. And that's mostly because a lot of the political people that we have in office aren't the kind of people that I would normally want to have leading the things that I want to lead personally. That's me. That doesn't mean I don't support them. They got elected. But nonetheless, I'd love to see a lot more business people with a lot more experience that are running big business. Take my state of South Dakota. South Dakota has about a $2 billion budget. Maybe, I think it's $2 billion, somewhere in that. It's a big state from a perspective of landmass, but not a big state in terms of population or its dollar amount. But about a $2 billion budget. Well, when I was running big business, that was a small business for us, you know? Yeah. And I want to make sure that someone who's running that knows how to spend that kind of money, knows what's required to manage those kinds of people and all the responsibilities. And I, I don't think we always have the right kinds of people doing that. For years, I've been saying that politicians should be voted in as they support small business. If it's good for small business, it's good for everybody. And we don't have those people in office. And I have for years said, vote them all out. (laughs) I always say about small business and big business, it makes good sense on Main Street. It's good sense on Wall Street. There's no difference between a business, you know, on Main Street versus Wall Street, just numbers. 
And yet we pay a disproportional time and effort towards protecting the balance of big business versus small business. Yet small business makes up the biggest numbers that we have in this country. There's 28 million businesses in North America. And of those 28 million businesses, 20 million of them are under under a million dollars in revenue. And 7.5 million businesses are well under 100 million in revenue. So 27.5 million businesses of the 28 million businesses that we have are well under 100 million. You know, and you only have another, you know, there's only 585,000 between 10 million and 100 million. That's all there is. That's not much when you think about the total gross number. There's only 7,500 businesses over a billion, but yet that's where most of the tax breaks go. That's where most of the money goes. That's where most of the effort goes. And yet more people are affected at a smaller level than a big level. The small business is the biggest engine with the smallest voice. Always has been. Always has been. You know, but there has been some good things that have come out of this to some extent. I got to tell you that I think the government did a fairly good job with the PPP at least getting it to some people, not all people. Now, I can't wait until they release the, the real numbers and the right. list of who got what. That's going to be interesting, okay? That will that, be. That'll be interesting. But the fact that they did move quickly to, you know, even though we've got 40, what, 44 million people unemployed, they worked, they, they did a good job to at least keep people in the businesses as much as they could, rather than throwing them out to all of the unemployment lines and everything else. Although there's a vast number of people that still made it that way. But by and large, they kept a majority of the people employed in some way, shape, or form through those processes. And I don't know who made that decision, but that was a pretty smart move. They're going like, no, 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 let's handle, let's deal with them in the businesses. Let that be the problem of the business is not the problem of government. I, I thought overall that was a pretty smart move. In your book, The Hero Factor, you talk about the importance of relationships. And there's a quote from Henry Ford. He didn't invent the wheel. And I often talk about you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just have to be able to put a spoke in it and make it turn better. And you use a quote about a business that only makes money is not a good business. But isn't the responsibility of the leader to the shareholders and the investors first before they go outside and be good to everybody else? No, it's got to be everybody. I mean, so let's let's take, let me tell you, you got to put people above profits because if you don't have people involved in your business, you're not going to have much of a business, period. That was his meaning behind that. But then so many other CEOs or people that come out and say, my first responsibility is to the shareholders. And I don't agree with that. And as you're pointing no, out, that you have to put the yeah. people first. You have to. I mean, Henry Ford, I mean, great example of that. I mean, Henry Ford was ruthless. Let's don't, let's don't count he wasn't. He was ruthless. But at least he saw the ability that if, if he built a car and his own employees couldn't afford it, what was the use of that? So he wanted to make a car that was affordable for his employees to be able to buy because he saw that as a way in which I could get more cars sold in a good way. George Eastman, you know, I used to be the chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak and, and George Eastman used to believe I've got to make the camera as affordable as a pencil or as easy to use as a pencil. And that was really his focus. That was means he wanted to go to the masses. He wanted to get to as many people as possible. That's putting people first, but also people first in terms of he made sure they had a decent working wage. He made sure they had a decent time off. Even, you know, now this is sexist as hell, but he even let women off early at before, like an hour before the men did so they could go home and prepare dinner 
you know, for the husbands, but at least he was progressive. I mean, I'm going to give him credit for that. You know, that, that, that was a progressive thought process of putting people ahead of a profit, you know, but there was a sexist uh, undertone to it nonetheless. But although George Eastman also had the very first female secretary ever in corporate business, uh, they were all men up until his time. So, yeah, I think it's important for people to do that. Hero leaders need to do that. We practice that in the C-suite network. We practice that to put at the forefront of diversity and inclusion, of being able to do you know what's right and being sustainable and a whole host of other things of making sure that we're responsible business people. We're talking with Jeffrey Hazlett. He is from the C-Suite Enterprises, and he's joining us here on Business Soup. And if this man had a pedigree like one of my horses, he'd be right up there with King Fritz. And with the most notable one right now is Metallic Cat with Bobby Patton as the owner. But you were the chief marketing officer at Kodak. And who doesn't remember the open me first or the Kodak moment? I still use that phrase. That is branding at the max. Your lessons in branding and being with Kodak and Eastman Kodak, how does that carry forward with their successes as well as their failures and not recognizing the opportunities or the evolution of digital into the market space today? What did you bring forward into C-suite that you learned from that arena? Well, the biggest thing is a couple of pieces is your hubris to your success and believing your own story. Kodak believed its own story for a long time. That it was a film company. It was never a film company. It was a, an emotional technology company. I mean, you mentioned Kodak moment. That's what they did. They make, they manage, they move images and information. That's what, that's, that's the essence of who they were. And they took the digital science together with imaging science and at the core or the crux of those two is where they were brilliant. They were brilliant at this. But they only applied it to film, and so therefore they got tunnel vision around the film. It took them eventually to bankruptcy. But, but when I was there, we started to realize that we were no longer just a film company. And if we were a film company, we were dead. You know, I used to go around to audiences speaking all over the world. And I said, how I many of you bought a roll of film in the last year? Be <laughs> 5,000 people in the room and two hands go up. And I go, welcome to my world. You know, and everybody would laugh. Well, that was the the essence. We failed to recognize the kind of company that we really were, which was emotional technology. Now, imagine if we took that emotional technology and said, well, film is just one way. Digital is another. And, and maybe there's more uh, than, than those things. What other material science or imaging science could we apply it to? We could apply it to the inside of a phone camera. We could, could apply it into a photo frame. We could apply it into a, a digital photo frame. We could apply it into television. We could have done a lot of different things, and we missed the boat on that. So that's the biggest thing I took away, was the essence of who you are and then how it applies, regardless of the delivery mechanism. Then go look at the delivery and then how to capture customer behavior. The other thing is that I think that I did at Kodak and and I still bring, I, I try to bring the fun. I try to bring the sense of wonder back into the workplace of I go to bed at night hoping I'll wake up and get started, you know, early, quick, fast. I hope I sleep fast so that I can get going as early as possible. That's what I try to do. And I try to get everybody else around me. And I'm not always successful at that, trying to do that with my own team today. And I I try to do as much of it as I can, but sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. Well, in the world of broadcasting, there's two ways to get people to respond. There's action and reaction. And if you can make them laugh, they'll remember. And you try to get them to respond. But it's hard to get people in the world of business broadcasting to take action because an action takes a thought process. Like, 
today I'm going to go out and write a business plan. That just doesn't happen. And the other way is a reaction. And the best way that we found in terrestrial radio is that if you want people to react, you piss them off. Yeah. So you have so much of this reactionary type broadcasting that's out there. And for me, I've always found it difficult to do business with people I've just alienated. So you have to be careful with what you say in this world, especially right now, because someone is going to object no matter what it is you say. How do you respond to businesses when there's turmoil out there and they make a decision to go forward and they get all of this flack? How do you deal with the, the trust and the relationship of getting trust and respect as the CEO of a business? I actually dealt with that in the, in the hero factor a lot. You know, let's take uh, Truett Cathy, who's the CEO founder of Chick-fil-A. Um, I don't agree with his politics, but I sure love his chicken sandwich. I think he's got a great chicken sandwich. I'd yeah. stand in line and get that chicken sandwich. A lot of people do, but yet his, his views around, you know, gays, uh, getting married or, um, having children or whatever, he's totally opposed to it. But you know, that's his prerogative it has nothing to do with his chicken sandwich. That's his personal opinions. It has nothing to do with his business, but he also has a belief that he won't support that. And he also has a business that says that they're not open on Sunday because he believes that's the Sabbath and you should have a day's rest on Sunday. Well, that's his prerogative. That just means I'm not going to go there on Sunday. Okay. So there's nothing wrong. In fact, the last I heard, you have freedom of speech in this country, freedom of assembly, freedom, right to bear arms. There's uh, lots of freedoms that are, that are outlined for us in the United States Constitution. And therefore, he's in, he or she or any CEO or company is entitled to practice those things that are legal in this country. Now, you're, it's everything, you're, you're right to also say, nope, don't, not interested, not, not going to go if that's what you want to do. And that's what makes this country great. And it doesn't mean there aren't consequences of it. Listen, if you want to be a thought leader in this country, if you want to have values in this country, you're going to tick people off. You're going to piss people off. That's okay. You just have to be grounded in your own values. And that's at least, like I said, true Kathy. I don't agree with the same values, but I respect his right to have them and I respect his right to do whatever he wants to do. That's the cool thing. I think there was a great saying I heard the other day. Ours isn't one to where we, you and I have to agree, my friend, but we should have an understanding. Sure. And that's okay. I, the other day I had the former secretary of, uh, in fact, she just sent me her book today. Former Secretary of Commerce, she was with me, Barbara Franklin, okay? Oh, yes. Barbara Hackman Franklin, she worked for Richard Nixon. She worked for Richard Nixon in the, and then went on to serve five presidents in various capacities, and she was the Secretary of Commerce. And amazing that she had this job. I don't agree with her politics, but I sure like her. I think she's a great woman. I had a great conversation with her. And we would, you know, because at the same time, I used to work for Senator George McGovern years ago. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Would you think the two of us are going to have something great to talk about? Yeah, I'm going to talk about her former boss tried to break into the headquarters of my former boss. You know what? <laughs> We're going to have a great conversation. But she didn't do that. And I really enjoyed it. We had a great conversation. I can't wait to meet her again. And you know what? She's somebody I could sit down and have a glass of wine with, have a glass of scotch with, and have a great conversation, but be on the total opposite ends. And I think that's okay. And you know what? It's okay to have that in this country. 
and we should. Absolutely. And in your book, Running the Gauntlet, I wanted to touch back on the trust factor. And there's respect and trust. And first you obtain the respect of others. In the business world, you talk about how you have to get the trust of the people, the partners, the vendors, the community, as well as the customers. If I'm starting a new business, what's the first thing I need to do? And we're using a restaurant as one of the victims of so much chaos. How do I start establishing that respect and trust of not only the customers, but the community? First of all, trust has three key factors. First is sincerity. Everybody will believe as a restaurant owner, you're going to have good service and you're going to have good food. They're going to grant you the first time. They're going to come in. They're going to believe that that's what you got. Then the next thing you're going to be measured is competency and then your reliability. Now you're going to have to show that you're competent. You can actually produce a good meal and you serve it well, hot, warm, whatever, and that you have great service. Now I'm going to now see if you're competent to do that. Am I being greeted correctly? Am I being seated in a timely fashion? Is Am I being offered water? Am I being offered all the accoutrements in the menu and so forth? And then when the meal comes, is it good? Is it not good? So then I'm based on the competency. And then now I'll come back a second time. My reliability. Are you reliable? Can you do it not once, but twice and three and four times? Some of us go to restaurants over and over and over again because of those factors, the trust factor. We know no matter what, when I walk in there, this is what I'm going to get. Okay. And that's how you start to build trust. And trust is around sincerity, reliability, and competency. We're talking with Jeffrey Hazlett. Jeffrey is from the C-Suite Network. And Jeffrey, to wrap this up, in your book, you talk about the difference between leaders and hero leaders. How do I become a hero leader? And is that what I want? Well, the good thing about hero leaders or those that run hero companies, they earn more money, they gross more money. They, they have happier employees, they have more engaged customers, and they have vendors who want to do business with them. And they're usually revered in their communities. And those are, again, people who put, you know, people or leaders who put people above profits. And they're taking care of the things that are the most valued. And so they're running a value-based business. So that's the difference between just real regular business leaders and then value-based leaders. Ones that have stated values, the employees know what they are, uh, typically, the customers know a great deal of them, and I think we're moving more and more. You know, you've, you've been watching about Black Lives Matter, you've been watching about uh, COVID, you've been watching about all these different things, or participating in some of these things. And what we do is we know that those who are grounded in values actually do a pretty good job. And even in this time of trouble and tribulations that we're seeing that are going on out there, we're going to succeed if you're grounded in values. And so that's that's a big, important piece of it. That is from the book, The Hero Factor. That's your most recent book. Yep. For more information about Jeffrey's books, you'll find it there with the transcripts on bizsoup.com. And if you'd like to reach out to him, that connection is there as well. Become a hero in your own community. Find out how. Go to bizsoup. Sign up and we'll get you in touch with Jeffrey and his book. All right, my hero, Jeffrey Hazlett, thanks for being on this serving of Business Soup. Thank you. This has been another serving of Business Soup, where business comes for business. I'm John Debevoise, inviting you to visit the website for more servings of what is best in business. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC.
To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.